0: It grows the lotus, it grows the wisdom. And without going into the mud, into the shadow and the depths of the stuff sometimes are unconscious, we can't change the stories. And that's where we get to shift the stories and go on our own hero's journey and blossom into new things and have a deeper capacity to take risks and put ourselves out there. Because we can hold that strength so deeply from the inside out.
1: Welcome to Happy Athlete. A podcast about overcoming obstacles and sparking change in ourselves and the world. We'll dig into mindfulness, enhancing performance, jumpstarting our passions, and learn tools to be stronger, happier, more grateful, and at peace. Hi, everyone. This is Sean. Welcome to another episode of Happy Athlete. Today, we're fortunate to have with us yoga teacher and life coach Mia Togo. Mia grew up as an avid equestrian and dancer in California. At age 18, she went on to dance professionally, working in film, TV, stage, and music videos. While simultaneously earning her degree in psychology from UCLA, the competitive world of dance revealed self-doubt and insecurities that needed attention and healing, which led her to yoga. Mia's been teaching yoga for almost 20 years and a life coach for over 10. Mia recently moved to London from LA and is now teaching at Tri Yoga in London. She's a yoga work senior teacher, teacher trainer, mentor, and leads yoga retreats and workshops around the world. Hi, Mia. Welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Sean. So great to be here with you.
1: Well, I'm, I'm super excited you're here. You're, you're, you're one of my favorite teachers. So it's great to just uh, just talk yoga and, and beyond here with you. Um, but. But before I get before we get into shadow work, which is which is some of the some of the questions I have for you, is you, you made a huge life change, and uh, the first thing I thought about, like you going from from the U.S. to England, is, is Ted Lasso. And, <laughs> I love Ted Lasso. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you haven't seen Ted Lasso, it's like this classic. Uh, fish, fish out of water story where he's a an American football coach. He goes to England to coach a soccer team. Um, but in, in in the first scene, he's he's there w- with the owner Rebecca, and it's it's about it's about tea. They spend like ten minutes talking about tea and Ted's dislike for tea. And she asks him, "Hey Ted, how do you how do you take your tea?" And he says, "Well, usually I just take it right back to the counter." So. <laughs> So I got to ask what probably everyone's wondering right now, how many cups of tea have you had today? Because it's uh, two o'clock in the afternoon over there as as we're doing this recording.
0: (laughs) That is actually hysterical that you asked me that question because I actually didn't start watching Ted Lasso until about maybe four or five months ago and then just was drawn in. And that is my favorite part of the show because (laughs) I really dislike tea. I don't drink tea. Don't push tea on me. I grew up, my dad's Japanese, so we grew up with a lot of tea in the house. I don't like tea and I pretty much never drink it. So, I so (laughs) resonate with that. Just, I take it right back to the counter. Same (laughs) response.
1: Yeah. He says, I always thought that it would taste like hot brown water. And you know what? They're right. It's terrible. And then she says, uh, I think she says like, well, welcome to England.
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs> Fortunately, England and London has a lot of other uh, great qualities besides tea. But that is a very important <laughs> thing here, for sure.
1: <laughs> I'm sure. Well, hey, um, so you're a professional dancer in the 80s. Um, and I saw that you were in, you were 18 years old at the time uh, when you were in, in the Running Man with Arnold oh, Schwarzenegger, gosh, yeah. <laughs> uh, girls just want to have fun with a, with. A, I think that was Sarah Jessica Parker, right? Helen Hunt.
0: Yeah, that's when they or, were coming onto the scene.
1: <laughs> right, right. So, so what was it like being a dancer in Hollywood at the time? Like, you know, I, when I've spoken to dancers, you know, they um, they say like the inner critic, like that's like that's the number one enemy. So, did, you know, did you deal with self doubt, insecurities? Like, what, what was all that like? You know, being in that competitive dance world in LA.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, I. I loved it, though. I mean, I think first and foremost, I loved dance, and I had a really Mm -hmm. great dance teacher through high school, and I actually started being fascinated with behavior and psychology in high school. So I I was already curious about some of the struggles I was having and some of the things I was attaching to. And so when I graduated from high school, I started to go to college. And then, um, you know, I told my mom and dad, like, I really want to go dance. And I auditioned for the 84 Olympics, which is a big deal when you're like 18. And I I danced in the 84 Olympics. And then from that point on, I just said, I'm quitting school. I'm going to get an agent. I'm going to go dance. And they supported me, which was awesome, because I think they trusted I would find my way. And that that was a strong calling. And that was something that I'm so happy and, um, just, it was just part of who I am that I I followed that. And Mm. yeah, it had ups and downs. It was a struggle. You were, you know, auditioning and, and, um, I wasn't always the best dancer in town, but I had a lot of heart and soul and I I trained at a really um, amazing place called Joe Tremaine. So I was on scholarship there. And so, yeah, it was a really exciting time to be a dancer too in, in the eighties and, and a lot of those jobs that I did. And, but it, than enough, because I feel like I had a pretty solid foundation, I wasn't drawn into the glitz and the glamour. I, I didn't lose myself in it. Like I would do, I would dance in the Academy Awards and I did other shows and, you know, people would invite me out to parties afterwards and that's great, but I was just not, I don't know. I was like, nah, I'm not going to go to the party. I'm going to go home. I, I really want to just take care of, take care of myself. So I don't know. I think I had a strong foundation, but there was still, you know, the, the things that were being stirred up and activated about you know, not being enough and not measuring up. So that's what drew me towards um, going back to school eventually and studying psychology.
1: Mm. So did you first get into like doing the shadow work or or the yoga?
0: The shadow work. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, you know, sometimes in, in the yoga world right now, people, you know, they take a yoga class, they get inspired in a year, they want to become a yoga teacher, which is great and fine, but it's a process and it's a practice. And I just... I really wasn't drawn to it until I was had done a lot of shadow work and I had an amazing teacher and, and coach. I mean, she, I had done traditional therapy, but for me, it wasn't working in the way that I needed. I understood so much intellectually and logically, but I still was having such a hard time breaking down some of these deep rooted patterns that were beyond my comprehension because it was, you have to go beyond what you know, at times in shadow work, you have to go into the feelings and the energy that we we're holding from wounds and sometimes trauma that we have inherited, I feel like I was understanding intergenerational trauma at that time without having really studied it. But I'm like, something's in here. <laughs> so my coach and guide at the time helped me unpack and dismantle a lot of the stuff that was churned was up. So when I was drawn to yoga, that's the part of it that really spoke to me. The physical, I like, I love the physicality of it. I'm a dancer. So I love the movement. But I wasn't in it for the acrobatics or the choreography because I, I, I'm going to go to dance class for that. I was in, in it to really tune into my body in a new way with a different spaciousness to be more kind and um, connected to what was moving through me when I got present in a, in a different way. Not that I wasn't present when I was dancing, but it's still more performance. This was more internal presence that was so healing in so many ways.
1: Hmm. So, 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 what is shadow work? I, I've been hearing so much about it. My, my understanding is that it's is is it like your stories? Is it is it your you know this? Um, is it trauma? Is it is it both? Is it childhood? Like, what, what exactly is is, is, it I is mean, shadow I think work?
0: When we talk about the shadow, it, it, it refers to Carl Jung and the work of you know the the unconscious, hmm. and I know it's it's kind of a big topic right now because we've been going through so much with COVID, with racism, with breaking things, dismantling things in our, um, in a lot of the, the, the cultural norms and rules and how we hold power individually and collectively. So shadow, especially in yoga, you get to consciously go into your unconscious patterns, the things that we are, are buried beneath the surface. And so if we're in, you know, like sometimes when we get triggered, or we're, you know, what trigger means, like when you're off center, or you're going into a judgment, or you're um, blaming, and you're not in your your presence because something has gotten activated, it's like a it's like a trance. And we, we let's be real, we get triggered, and we go. It's like a time travel trance. I'm no longer present in my body. I'm over here trying to um, discharge that onto somebody else. So when we can rein it back in and be aware of our own shadow, we can use and work with our triggers as teachers, as actually messengers of some stories, and some um, feelings and memories and thoughts that need understanding within ourselves. And we take ownership and accountability. It's such an important part of being accountable in all kinds of relationships, you know, Mm. romantic relationships, interpersonal relationships, and how we go out and relate to the
1: world, so, so is the shadow work like the is like the processing of? Like, <laughs> like a, I, saw, I saw that you have like a like a workshop called the um the uh processing playground, right? Yeah. So, like, where does that come in? Because I I think about like when on my yoga mat, like I was trying to think like like there's some degree when I practice yoga that I'm doing some sh- like I could be doing some shadow work, right?
0: Yeah, of, of course. When so. Processing playground was something I did a while ago. And recently in the last couple of years, I created a course called Coming Home to Wholeness, which is a more deep dive where I was involved with like a group setting. And so, you know, when we have well, let's say like when we're growing up and we we experience love or we experience our caregivers and our parents, and we we see what's modeled for us. And you know, some of us have really great modeling for that, some of us have difficult modeling, some have like things we're okay, but there was things that were not said and there can be holes in how we were taught love. And so as we're growing up, we'll fill those holes to feel safe and to feel held. And so we'll create belief systems about what love is and maybe what it's not. And that. That experience, when we go out in the world and we, you know, create relationships with other people, it'll start to get, you know, get played out. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in romantic relationships, especially when you're younger, you know, some of our insecurities and our fears and our self-doubt gets reflected back. And so our work is when we can, you know, flip the mirror and go, wow, what is this bringing up in my own unconscious shadow? It's helping me heal and integrate those lessons so that I come back into my wholeness, so that I can take ownership of where I can blame other people or where I'm sitting maybe in some shame that I haven't healed because shame is, you know, a really powerful force that keeps us stuck. And the thing that keeps shame alive is silence and, you know, and, and burying it, like keeping it down in the dark. So the shadow work is going down into the mud. Mm. It's it's not being afraid to look at our own um, areas that we have maybe deemed bad or ugly. Like, like people pleasing or perfectionism and all of that stuff that keeps us stuck is usually because we're not looking at those shadow places of where we don't feel worthy or we don't feel lovable. And so we create a mask, you know, to present to the world, but down deep inside, we can still have these and you can be really successful actually in the world. I mean, you can have a lot of money, you can have titles and feel very unworthy inside. So it doesn't relate into material success you know, it's it's something that's very deeply um, in our personal spiritual path. So I always say shadow work is spiritual work because we have the courage to look at what we've deemed sometimes bad or ugly or unlovable, and those are the parts that are asking to be understood, excavated, held, and actually loved. It's a tremendous amount of wisdom. So one of my sayings is no mud, no lotus. (laughs) You got to go into the mud and it's murky and it's mucky and it's messy, but it it grows the lotus. It grows the wisdom. And without going into the mud, into the shadow and the depths of the stuff sometimes are unconscious, we can't change the stories. And that's where we get to shift the stories and go on our own hero's journey and blossom into new things and have a deeper capacity to take risks and put ourselves out there because we can Mm. hold that strength so deeply from the inside out.
1: Yeah, that's that's great because I, 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 you know, I, that's got to be the biggest um, hesitation for getting into shadow work. If I'm someone who who feels like I I could benefit from, but when I think of shadow work, I think of darkness, and darkness is is scary. So, so, w- is there something that you would say to someone who's like like they're interested in it, but like, but they have to get past that that big objection of like of going going to that place.
0: I'm going to say this, and it's what I, when I work with clients too. In the mm-hmm. beginning, when I'm doing, um, you know, a, a client referral or just dropping in, it's like you have to be willing to get uncomfortable. That's just the way it goes. You just do because think of it this way: it's like a death. You are shedding some identity, and that identity has helped kept you in a an illusion of safety. And sometimes you actually need that identity to feel safe. Like, you're not ready until you're ready. And sometimes you're not. That's okay, too. But if you're wanting to go and change some of these deeply rooted beliefs that are keeping you stuck, you're going to get uncomfortable. And that that's yoga, too. It's the tapas. It's the fire. It's the heat. It's like the willingness to get into some burning away the residue, if you will. But in that burning of residues, you're composting new things to grow. So, yeah, you do have... To, there's something in the yoga wellness world that I think is very uh, dysfunctional and it's called good vibes only because right. there's this attachment that we always have to feel good and be happy. And that's why going into the shadow can be scary because we've deemed it bad or wrong or in, in it, darkness. The, the world is dark half, you know, we, dark and light. Yin and yang is two halves of the same whole. And if we're we're born from darkness, we come out of darkness into this world. So in order to rebirth and learn new things, we have to be willing to go into that soupy, dark place for, you know, for change and and transformation. So I would say you got to be willing to get uncomfortable and know that at times, and this is so true, it feels like a death of identity because it is, it's a shedding and a letting go, but it also gives you a deeper relationship to what courage like, core. It comes from the heart to really live from your heart and connect that to your head and your body and your spirit. There's an integration with that.
1: Mm. Yeah. That makes so much sense that the the confrontational part, I I remember when I first got into yoga, I remember seeing the the cover of a yoga journal magazine and said like, you know, do yoga, get blissed out. And I remember this was right around the time I was, you know, my practice I was doing for a couple of years and I was realizing it, it wasn't mostly blissful it was bringing stuff up and my my father had just passed away and I I never never really dealt with it like when he passed away I didn't cry I just held it all in and all of a sudden all that started to come up I'm like well this this really isn't blissful <laughs> you know but you're you're absolutely right like it's just but and and I wasn't like consciously like confronting it but now that I look back that you know I probably was in some way I I was because I was I was putting the time in and I was breathing and I was you know um committing to something. So mm-hmm. um, I, I guess that's leads me to my next question. So, so what, what c- could be involved in shadow work? Is it, is it, is it journaling? Is it, is it meditations? Is there like, like, like some, like, like some initial steps that one would take?
0: I really think that's a great question. I think it really depends on the the person and right. where you are in your triggers. And when, when things get activated, yeah, cause you know, when you're in a fear response, we have skills and tools and strategies that we have implemented that keep us feeling safe and held. And we don't, we're not trying to eradicate them or sever them. We want to understand so that we can feel safe and held as we move into new territory. Cause we don't want to be overwhelmed. So, you know, you know, the common response to fear, cause fear isn't a bad thing. Fear is what keeps us alive and, you know, and aware, but we don't want to live in fear. And sometimes that fear gets, um, Buried, you know, like you said, losing your father and, and, you know, I've lost my mom and I had to go through a lot of, you know, pain and grief. And there were times when I buried that pain and I didn't want to feel it because it, it hurts. It just sucks and it hurts. So when we learn to, 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 to process our feelings, it's important because we don't want to swim and get lost and drown in them, but we want to move through them. So it helps us get to the next phase of, you know, the grief process, you know, something like that. So our fear responses, you know, some people tend to be more fighters. Some people tend to run. some people tend to shut down, mm-hmm. you know, like think about what's your tendency. We can be all of them, mm-hmm. but let's say I'm my tendency <laughs> yeah, my it husband, to be a
1: combination. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, definitely. And it depends on the situation. Like with my husband, when I go into like a fear response, mine's usually the fight and I mean, not to beat up, but I'm like, okay, bring it on. And there's other times when it's, I want to run. So I I found like, if you're in that, that fear response and your, your stuff is up, if you're triggered, you know, I've done this, this work of rinsing and discharging when I'm triggered and off center. And I haven't had time at that moment, but I could feel it's held in my body. And I've been doing this since I'm in my twenties when I started doing this work and I'm 56 now, and it's helped me through a lot of changes Um, I actually have a pillow and a tennis racket. You can use a baseball bat, (laughs) whatever you want. And to have a a way to hit something or you can squeeze and yell into a pillow, it's like discharging the energy that is churned up, it's pulled up. And that's not for everyone, but it helps some people to discharge the overwhelm. So it's what we call, it's a type of rinsing. It's a type of releasing. Another way is to write too. Sometimes writing out, I'm so angry, I'm so sad, I'm so hurt. And just letting even your judgy, blamey, you know, your judgy, blamey voices, you know, when we can judge or blame or we're up and we're off center to let them have a way to move because they feel very real and true, but they're not necessarily the truth. You know, like we've heard feelings are not facts, but they're messengers. So we want to learn how to work with the messages and decode them because underneath it is a ton of wisdom. But we have to be able to find ways to not shut our feelings down because they're uncomfortable or because a lot of us, honestly, we're not taught how to process, rinse and process our feelings. we were taught to shut them down, mm-hmm. right? Boys don't cry. Girls just like smile and put on a happy face, or, you know, all that stuff. And we're learning, you know, our, some of our parents and our grandparents, they didn't have the tools. We're learning more tools, how to work with our feelings and not shut them down. So a way is to writing, it's a way of processing, okay, what's really going on here so that I can get to the truth. Because if it's in my body, I got to own it. I hear this a lot with people in general. And sometimes people I work with, he made me feel that way. And she made me feel that way. And I, I was like, no, they didn't. It was already inside of you. They activated it. That person may be acting like a jerk. I mean, that may be true. But once you start to mesh in the experience and you go into judgment and blame, you, you're, you're in it. And the only way to to untangle it oftentimes is we can mentally go, well, you know, I don't want to think this, but once you felt it, you know, like when you feel something, it's got energy and it's alive. So if you work with the energy and let it move, it gets to the feelings that got upset and then go to the thought of like, Ooh, what's this really about here inside of me? I can take ownership. And it like cuts this cord, this cord between other people. I don't need to enmesh and their experience because they're going through what they're going through. I know I'm throwing a lot out there, but it helps because, I mean, we're living in such a time, such a charged time of s- uh, divisiveness and judging. And I mean, you know, people, they, they used to love that. I don't love you anymore because you don't think and feel the way I do. And it's, it's, it's difficult times to navigate some of these tough stories that are being um, that are surfacing for so many people in different ways.
1: So, so the rinsing part. So like, that's just like, just like extracting the energy. Right. And and I think about that, like, you know, it's um, you know, the shadow work kind of falls under like, Oh, it's new age, but you know, this is something, you know, the native Americans, like they would dance, dance, like to move things, move Mm -hmm. things. So it's, this has been happening for you know hundreds, thousands of years. So it's not that new. Um, It's just like these, you know the shadow work sounds like just like like practical tools that you could add to your tool bag. So if you're already practicing meditation or you're already doing yoga, this is something that could support it and help you work through the process. Is that that sound right?
0: Yeah, it, it does. And it, you know, if you, I don't know if you know the eight limbs of yoga. It's that you may, you may not. Um, but it, if you're out there, you know, listening to this, you might know the eight limbs. In meditation, Dhyana is the seventh limb. There are six before that that are important. That's why sometimes for me, how do I say this? I love meditation and I believe in it. But if I sit down and do a 30-minute meditation, I can do that. Like I can just kind of sit down and go into it. But it doesn't mean that what's churning underneath needs a place to rinse and move through before I sit down into that meditation. I'm going to feel more in tune. Because our animals, we don't want to sequester or deny our animal, our human. It's like connected to our, our pleasure and our passion and our, our ability to know joy. Like it's so important. So the yamas and the ni- niyamas, the first two limbs, so There's like it's like the Ten Commandments, if you will, the restraints and the observances. I don't want to go into all of them, but there's a lot like non-harming, truthfulness, not stealing, the things that we know, but those are supposed to be worked with before you get to the third limb, which is asana. And there's so much asana and postures being taught these days everywhere, like in gyms, which is cool and fine. But without the connection to the philosophy, it loses some of the, the healing and liberating part of the practice. And then it just becomes more attachment to physicality or diet culture or, you know, perfectionism, which I see a lot of that. And then, you know, after asana is pranayama, it's, you know, the breath and the energy restraint, pratyahara, so we can withdraw our senses, dharana to concentrate, dhyana meditation, and then samadhi. So there's a process to it. So meditation is a powerful tool, but sometimes we need things before that to move and to um, be aware of or deconstruct so that we could sit more still in that meditation and really be at home in integration.
1: Mm. That's great. Well, hey, so if someone wanted to, uh, to find you to find out more about, about, about your work, your shadow work and beyond, where, where, where would they go?
0: They could go to my website. Um, it's mia.togo.com, and there's a lot of different information. There's you know blogs that I've written, and also there's a newsletter you can sign up to. I'm creating. It's called Home of Wholeness School. So, you know, like you said in the beginning, I've been a teacher trainer and uh, mentor for Yoga Works for many many years. So I'm I've created a couple courses coming home to Wholeness, which I did the last couple years. So That's really more in depth, and I'm part of facilitation, and I'm creating a new one that's actually coming out. Uh the twenty-seventh. Well, it's pre registration is the twenty-seventh and it launches February third. Um so it's called the courage to hear your call.
1: And you're also aren't you doing a um a retreat in Spain? Did I see?
0: I am. I'm doing a retreat in Mallorca June fourth through the eleventh, and it's sold out. (laughs) So we have seventeen people coming and it's sold out.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Excited. great. Great. Yeah. Well, hey, I really appreciate you coming on. This is really helpful, and I know, um, you know, like I said, like it, it just seems like so many people are interested in, it. and I'm, you know, hearing people just having so much success, and it can, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's great work. So I, I'm really thankful you spent the time and, you know, being across the pond and, and made it work for your schedule. So, so thank you very much.
0: Oh my gosh, you're so welcome. And I love talking about these things, and it's important to share in all the different ways we can. So. I appreciate you you know lending your voice and inspiration as well
1: yeah absolutely and hey everybody out there thanks so much for listening and uh we will catch up with you soon thanks again